Are you in the middle of a fierce trial? If so, today's episode of Awaken to Grace is going to strengthen your faith. Welcome to today's edition of Awaken to Grace. We are in Daniel chapter 3 in a sermon called Unhurried Deliverance. This is part of a greater series called The Unhurried Life. And today we're going to explore the reason why God sometimes doesn't deliver us when we think he should, but sometimes he takes his time. And what we're going to find in today's talk is even those times that God seems slow to help us or to rescue us, what we find is times that we even have to go through the fire, Christ himself is going to be with us and he's going to protect us. I know today's going to help you and I hope that you will consider sharing today's sermon with a friend. I hope you enjoy today's edition of Awakened Radio. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Now, as I said, we've been in a series all summer. We're winding this series down. We have only today and next Sunday remaining. If you've missed some of the series, I hope you'll go on our app, Awakened to Grace, and I hope that you'll go back and re-listen to some of these or listen to what you've missed. I feel like each sermon has been timely. Each sermon, I feel God has used in a great way. I know it's been some of the most rich uh, preparation and study for me personally, and it's helped me in this season of life that I have found myself in. Now today, as we are in Daniel chapter 3, we're talking about a very familiar passage to many of us, and that is the three Hebrew children. Now perhaps you were not raised in church, Maybe you didn't go to Sunday school or you didn't have a strong background of Bible teaching and perhaps you're not very familiar with the three Hebrew children. Well, I hope you find today thrilling. I hope you find today mind-blowing. For many of you, you are familiar and some of you are almost like me. You're a little bit too familiar. I can remember being a little boy, and I remember my mom teaching me Bible stories. I can remember pretending as though I was David facing the Goliath. And I remember seeing with my mind's eye what this fiery furnace must have looked like that the three Hebrew children faced. But the danger for those of us who we've heard the story over and over For those of us who would go, oh, yeah, 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 Daniel 3, yes, yes, the three Hebrew children, of course, of course, of course I know that story. The danger is that we overlook truths that God wants to teach us right now. Have you ever read a Bible verse that you knew and you've read it dozens of times, but yet when you read it, something new comes alive to you? Have you ever studied a passage of the Bible that you thought you knew like the back of your hand, but then all of a sudden you begin to see things that you had never seen before? Do you know why that is, my friend? 
Because the word of God is active, it's alive, it is living, it is as relevant today as it was the day it was written. Should the Lord not return for another thousand years, the Bible will be just as relevant a thousand years from this day as it is right now in our day. And you want to take it a step further, Jesus said that the Bible is so relevant, that it's so important, that when the world itself has passed away, the word of God will remain standing for all of eternity. That's how important God's word is in our life. Amen. So today, maybe you're familiar. Maybe you're like me and you go, oh, three Hebrew children, of course. Let's don't do that. Let's approach it with a freshness from heaven and say, God, show me today what you would have me to learn. The premise of our talk today is unhurried deliverance. And the premise is going to be we know God is able, as the children of it, uh, as the three of your children knew God was able. We know God can rescue. Most of us would not doubt his ability. Most of us do not doubt his supernatural working and his ability to come in and rescue and save the day. The premise today is what do you do when God does not deliver on time, as you would suppose it being on time. What do you do when you're confident that God is going to help, that he's going to deliver, that he's going to step in, that he's going to intervene, but yet God doesn't, or so it seems. You're so confident that God's going to answer the prayer, but then the time goes and it seems as though the prayer is not answered. What do you do in those times? I think the three Hebrew children teach us. Now, if we're going to understand Daniel chapter 3, we really got to go back to Daniel chapter 1. And let me just, is it okay if I give us a, just a real fast history lesson? Super brief, really fast. If you go back to the time of Saul, Saul was the first king of Israel. And let me just speed through this. Saul was the first king of Israel, followed by David, and the kingdom flourished under David. And then came his son Solomon, and Solomon uh, made some mistakes, but overall did really well with the kingdom. After Solomon, then trouble really came to Israel. The kingdom had a civil war, the nation split, you had the north, and then you had the south, which so often happens, right? You didn't know that there was a civil war in the Bible, right? <laughs> Some of you never studied it, but sure enough, civil war. North, North Kingdom, South Kingdom. I don't know if they were Yankees or rebels. I, I don't know, but they, North and South. Now, the North had 10 tribes in the kingdom. The South had two. What the South had the advantage of is they controlled Jerusalem and they had the temple. So they stayed more pure to the Lord. The north went way off the rails. They got deep into idol worship, king after king after king, and just led them down bad paths. And God was very clear, if you're going to follow idols, I'm no longer going to help you. I'll allow your enemies to overtake you. I'll, I'll allow you to go into captivity. And sure enough, that happened in the north. Now, the south was able to hold on for much longer. They went on another 200 years without being taken into captivity. But the time came and they got further away from the Lord and so God now has allowed, where we pick up in Daniel chapter one, God has allowed Israel, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, now 
to go into captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar, who we're somewhat familiar with in the Bible, we get introduced to this king in chapter 1, and we find out right off the bat, he is an incredible egomaniac. The guy was crazy. The guy was insane. And the guy often went toe-to-toe against God, which is a very bad idea. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar not only ransacked Jerusalem, he not only destroyed the temple, he not only took all the precious artifacts out of the temple, but he also took the choicest men out of Judah. And the Bible names four of them for us, being Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had Hebrew names, but these are their Babylonian names. And so in chapter 1, we see that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they make a, a, a resolve, they make a commitment that they're not going to defile themselves in Babylon. The Bible says that they were to be trained for three years. They were to learn the Chaldean language. They were to learn the customs. They were given certain foods and everything. They were going to be reconditioned. But yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel would not allow that to happen to themselves. You read chapter 1, and it's quite riveting, and then you go to chapter 2, and then we find out Daniel has an incredible gift of interpreting dreams. And so this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, God gives him this crazy dream where he sees this massive statue, a head of gold and the chest of silver and the, and, and the thighs of bronze and then the legs of iron and then the feet of mixed iron and clay. And all of a sudden, this rock that didn't come from human hands comes and smashes the feet, and the whole thing comes tumbling down. The rock turns into this mighty mountain, and it rules the world. Nebuchadnezzar's perplexed, and he calls for Daniel, and Daniel comes in, and Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream. I don't have time to go into all of that, but it's really riveting. And if you study that in light of prophecy and end time uh, prophetic events, we believe that we're living in the age of the feet. And what is this massive rock that was not hewed from human hands? This is Jesus Christ. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And all of these kingdoms of the world are going to fall. We know that the iron legs was the Roman Empire. I can't get into all of this. This, this, You you have to go read it. It's fascinating. But now we turn to Daniel chapter 3. i got to get on track because all this is going to tie together. So we see in chapter 1, we see in chapter 2, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're close friends. Daniel gets promoted in chapter 2. He says, King, I want my friends with me. I want them promoted. They're all promoted in this Babylonian kingdom. And now when we get to chapter 3, things are going to get very serious. The king decides, this egomaniac decides to build a statue of himself made out of gold. And this wasn't like a statue. I'm talking, the Bible tells us in cubits, because that was the measurement of the Old Testament, uh, converted into our system today. We know what this statue was. It was 90 feet 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. Now that's a statue. Just to put it into perspective, a telephone pole is about 60 feet. 
So add another 30 feet to this statue, and this is how large, nine feet wide, 90 feet tall. They put it in this plain to where everyone in the kingdom and the empire can see this thing. And why did he make it out of gold? Was it made out of solid gold? Most likely not. What I found fascinating, we took our church, about 20 out of our church, went to Cairo, Egypt some years ago, and on that trip, one of the fun tourist things that we did, we went to the Cairo Museum and we visited King Tut's exhibit. And they taught us in that King Tut exhibit that everything that he had, uh, that he was buried with, uh, was, was certainly made of gold, but it wasn't solid gold. What they would do is take wood and then build it out of wood, and then they would overlay it with gold. And odds are that's what this 90-foot statue is. But the point is, where did he get the idea of making a statue of himself of solid gold? What did Daniel tell him in chapter 2? You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And what did it do? It went straight to his head. And he builds this statue, and he says, when the music begins to play, everyone in the kingdom is to bow down and worship. Can you picture this 90-foot statue made of gold glistening in that hot Middle East sun? Imagine what it looked like with your mind's eye. They had this 90-foot statue glistening in the sun made of gold. Must have been something. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego purposed. We're not going to defile ourselves. We are not going to bow to this idol. We will not participate in idolatry. Now, If you're going to take notes today, a couple of things that I want you to note. Number one, what we learn from these men, and our topic today is unhurried deliverance, but first I want you to note what we learn from these young men is number one, they drew a line of conviction. They drew a line of conviction. They had conviction before a crisis ever came. They purposed in their heart Before this statue was even thought of, before the statue was even, before the construction even began, before it was finished, before everybody began to worship, they already purposed in their heart, we're not going to follow idolatry. They had conviction. And what I want to talk to you about for a moment today is how important it is, especially in our culture, especially in our godless culture that we live in today, that you and I are men, that you and I are women of conviction. Can you say today that you're a man of conviction? You're a woman of conviction? Is conviction so resolute within your heart that there are certain areas of your life, there are certain areas of temptation, there are certain areas of testings that you say, I will not bend? And what is so dangerous in our culture because we are so comfortable is that we don't think of conviction till crisis comes. And then when crisis comes, when we're faced with the temptation or we're faced with the testing or we're faced with the fiery furnace or we're faced with some hardship in life, when crisis comes, what we find is that the conviction is not there. We must have conviction before we have crisis. 
And what we find is that because of the internal conviction that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, because of the internal conviction when the external pressures came, they were okay. What about your life today? Can you withstand external pressures? Is your faith solid enough? Is it sturdy enough? Is it strong enough that you can withstand external pressures? Because let me tell you, friends, external pressures come from every side, do they not? And you know this. They come from every side. They, came, they, they often come from Satan himself and his kingdom. Will Satan not buffet us? Will he not oppose us? Will he not try to hinder us and try to discourage us and try to attack us and try to bring warfare upon our lives? Yes, exactly. Cer- certainly he will. External pressure will come from the kingdom of darkness. External pressure will often come even from our flesh. It will come from our own temptations, from our own desires, from our own worldliness that we must constantly beat into subjection, that we must constantly crucify and constantly yield to the lordship of Christ. External pressures will come simply from the world. This system that opposes God. This is why the Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The book of James says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Pressures will come upon us. They'll come from family and friends. They'll come from our workplace. They'll come from our own attitudes. Listen, external pressures are all around us. And what you and I must do is we must recognize that there needs to be an internal conviction about us based on the principles of God's word that when external pressures face us, we're going to be just fine. Our faith is going to be just fine. So let's watch the story unfold. There were some mischievous men who hated the Jews and they knew the resolve of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they go to the king and they say, O king, live forever. There are certain men who do not follow your decree. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage when he found this out. So he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. They come and present themselves before the king. And the king says, Men, is this true? Is it true that you will not serve my gods nor bow down to the image? And this is what the king said. When the music plays, if you bow down, all will go well with you. See, they're already in a position of authority. They're already promoted in the kingdom. They could have had quite an easy life. And the king says, if you bow down, everything will go well. But if you don't, this very hour, immediately I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. Could you imagine facing that? What cruelty. And we watch their response. They say verse 16, verse 17, verse 18. O king, (laughs) they don't say, O king, live forever. They don't do none of that pomp and they don't even go down that road. They simply say, O king, there is no need to answer you. 
saying we have no defense. They're saying there's no need in wasting your time or wasting our time. You don't have to send us away. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to pray about it. We don't even have to sleep upon it. We're resolved. We will not bow. The king says, I will throw you in the furnace. And how will your God deliver you, save you out of my hand? And they say, king, there's no need to answer you. We're resolved. Verse 17, our God is able to rescue us out of your hand and from the fiery furnace. Praise God, amen? I want to be a man of faith like that. But then it takes a step further. Now, I would love to be able to stand with a backbone and say, oh, king, you're wrong. God is able. God is able. He's more than able. He's more than able to step in and intervene. You better believe God is able. But then they say something, and this is where the title, Unhurried Deliverance, comes from. Then they say something remarkable, verse 18. But if not... Wow. King, God is able to rescue us from the fiery furnace and out of your hand. But if not, are you kidding me? Are you serious? But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not bow down. Now, my friends, that's faith. My friends, it is faith when you're able to say, God is able. I know God can. I know God is able. I know he has the ability. But let me tell you, even if God doesn't, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to follow him. That is following the Lord. But if not, I'm still going to follow Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And so the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar became full of rage. He became full of fury and that his face, his countenance even changed toward them. And here's what he did. He commanded them to be bound hand and foot. He commanded the fire to be heated seven times hotter than what it was. And he commanded his strong men to bind them and carry them to the furnace. He was going to waste no time. Now this furnace... Scholars believe that this was a large pit in the ground with an opening. And scholars believe that King Nebuchadnezzar must have had some kind of balcony that he could look down into the pit over. And the Bible says that the strong men, and and scholars think that that these strong men perhaps were even the king's personal bodyguards. And the Bible says that these strong men took the three Hebrew children and, and bound them. And as they led them to the fire, the heat was seven times hotter. It was so intense that even the strong men died instantly. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine what walking up to this thing and the men who are going to throw you in, they die themselves because the heat is that strong. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fire. Now, I don't know what would be going through your mind. Oh, here you just stood and told the king, God is able. 
But even if not, we're not going to serve you. We're not going to bow down to you. And then, I, I, I have no idea what these three Hebrew children were thinking, but I would be thinking, as the men died to my left and right, I'd be saying, God, what are you doing? Because <laughs> obviously it's plan B at this point. God is not going to save them from the fire. And what do you do when God lets you go through the fire? See, in my thinking, deliverance should have come before this point. In my Western, comfortable, uh, God doesn't want to see me go through anything bad. I'm God's child. He's going to protect me. He loves me. Why would God let me be thrown into the fire? Why would he even let it get to that point? And I know in my heart today, even though I can't see you, I know there are some of you listening who you're saying inside of your heart, if God truly loved me, why would he let it get to this point? Why would God allow me to face what I'm facing? If God was going to rescue me, he would have already done it. Unhurried deliverance. The Bible says that they went bound hand and foot into the fire. But that's not the end of the story. In your trial... And your hardship is not the end of your story either. Watch what God does. King Nebuchadnezzar looks somehow, whether that was on a balcony or what, he looks over into the fire and what does he see? This king who is such an egomaniac, this king who demanded worship of himself, this king who will never ever learn his lesson, but will constantly go toe-to-toe with God, this king looks in and he sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not just in the fire, but loosed, unharmed, walking around. Can you imagine what he thought? And yet the story still doesn't end there. He looks around to his men and he says, didn't we throw three men in there? Wasn't there only three? Behold, I see four. And he said, the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. What in the world is going on? And he had no knowledge. He didn't know, but scholars certainly could have been an angel, but no scholars believe it was Jesus Christ himself in the fire with Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego walking in the fire with them fellowshipping with them communing with them what in the world do you think they talked about I bet Jesus said boys look at his face that's what I would have said I, I don't know but I mean come on what would you talk about with Jesus in the midst of the fire Nebuchadnezzar that pagan That pagan had no idea. He had no idea. And he said, behold, it looks like a son of the gods. 
Do you know what the point is today for you and I? Is that my friend, when God so sees fit for you to go through the fire, you're not alone. Christ himself is walking with you. And what is the point, my friend? The enemy can turn the fire up seven times hotter. But my friend, the hotter the flame, the sweeter the fellowship. You're not alone today in your trial. You're not alone today in your hardship. God himself is walking through the fire with you and it's not gonna consume you. It's not gonna overtake you. It's not gonna overpower you, amen? And that's the point of the three Hebrew children. God could have rescued them before the fire, but that wasn't his plan. He wanted them to go through it. And what is it in life right now that you are so praying for God to rescue you from? But no, my friend, God's will is for you to walk through it. And Satan would come and say, well, if God was going to help you, he already would have. No, I'll tell you what Miss Jessie tells me so often over my blindness God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God's delayed something in your life doesn't mean he's denied it. Amen. There are times you and I must walk through fire. There are times that the enemy is going to turn the heat up seven times hotter. There are times that you're going to face Afflictions and hardships and calamities. But what do you do in those times? You remind yourself that Jesus Christ himself is with you. Robert Murray McChain, that great pastor of the 1800s in Scotland, he said, if I could hear Christ in the next room beside me praying for me, I would not fear an army of thousands. You know what that Scottish pastor said? But alas, he is praying for me. Distance makes no difference. Christ is with you. He's with you in the fire. So, King Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) he... Now watch this. I'm I'm going to begin to close with this. King Nebuchadnezzar calls to them and they walk out of the fire by their own power. They walk out of the fire. All of the bigwigs are there. All the governors, all the magistrates, all of the princes, all the who's who of Babylon are there. And do you know what the Bible says? that not even the hairs of their head were singed. Have you, ever, have you ever had either a fire or purchased an article of clothing that had been in a fire? Have you ever smelt the smoke of a fire? You can't get it out, can you? You can't get it out. You can't get it out. And the Bible says, that not even their clothing smelled of smoke. That was God's supernatural ability 
to preserve them. And do you know what my favorite part of this story is? Is see, God preserved them to walk out of the fire. God most certainly preserved them inside the fire. But do you remember the strong men who died throwing them into the fire? Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not die at that point? You know why, my friend? Because the power of God was already on them. And let me encourage you today. The power of God is on you as well. And that's why God is helping you. He's preserving you. He is strengthening you. He is empowering you. He's giving you all the wisdom you need. He's giving you all the help you need. You are right now receiving the help from heaven itself. Amen? Amen. And God's going to preserve you. And God's going to help you. Unhurried deliverance. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes. Matt, you you can come, brother, if you like, and I'll close here. Then Nebuchadnezzar does something that on the surface level seems exciting, but don't get too excited over this. King Nebuchadnezzar says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there is no God like yours. You are servants of the most high. That would make you think he's going to follow God, doesn't it? But do you know what the problem with King Nebuchadnezzar was? He practiced polytheism. He worshipped hundreds of gods, many gods. And when Nebuchadnezzar saw the power of God, it didn't make him love God. Never once, and you can read his story from Daniel 1 to 4, And never once did King Nebuchadnezzar say, he is the one, true, only, living God. No. He simply said he's the most high. In other words, of all the pile of gods, he's on top. That's all he said. And he missed the whole point. Do you know what the point of the three Hebrew children really is? And I want you to hear my heart today because this is, this is where our lives really come into it. The point is not that God supernaturally kept the fire from harming them. I mean, that's unbelievable right there. Magnificent. Worthy of glorifying God. The real point is that they knew God and they loved God in such a way that when they were facing the fire, they were able to say, oh, no, see, King, God can deliver us. But but see, King, even if he doesn't, he's our God. We follow him. We're going to follow him and him alone. And, And listen, listen, listen. When the world looks at our lives, when the world is watching you and they're watching you go through your hard time or through your fiery trial, do you know what astounds them? Is the yieldedness that we give to God. The yieldedness. That's the real story of the three Hebrew children. 
they yielded themselves to God. And they said, on one hand, God can deliver. On the other hand, he may not. But that doesn't change my surrender. I can feel the Holy Spirit leading this right now. Are you a man? Are you a woman of such resolve that you would say, even if God doesn't help me the way I think he should, he still deserves my obedience. He still deserves my submission. He still deserves my yieldedness. Even if God doesn't come through the way I thought that God would come through, God is still worthy of all of my worship and all of my adoration. So today, my question is not, is God going to do a miracle? Certainly he can. Oh, most certainly. My question's not on God's part. My question's on our part. Will we say, but if not, I'll follow Jesus? That's my question today. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. What are you facing in life right now that the devil's telling you give in? What are you facing right now that the devil's telling you if God was going to help you, he would have already. He's a liar, my friend. God's not going to let you go through the fire alone. He's going to walk with you. He's going to preserve you. God is going to deliver you. If you need prayer today for any reason, prayer for strength, prayer for endurance, prayer for greater faith, prayer for greater resolve, slip out of your seat. Come around this altar. Stand, sit, kneel, whatever you need to do. Come and pray and say, God, deepen my resolve today in Jesus' name. of our 
praise. You're worthy of our submission. So God, those of us who find ourselves facing fiery furnaces, God, we submit to you today. We submit. Father, call forth from our lives the type of yieldedness that glorifies Jesus. Call forth from our lives the kind of yieldedness that causes a lost and dying world to say, what is it about God that would cause such allegiance? Call forth from us yieldedness. Thank you, Lord. today we thank you for the principles of God's word when external pressures come let the internal conviction out of your word carry us in Jesus name